Welcome everyone, this is Sasha and Lily Mountains. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Alexis and Justin Black, both are foster care alumni, recent graduates, serial entrepreneurs, and successful authors. Each of their businesses are for social impact and they're working to help others heal from their past to build a life worth living. They recently published a book called Redefining Normal, How Two Foster Kids Beat the Odds and Discovered Healing, Happiness, and Love, which was named number one on Amazon in three categories. The book relays their personal stories, sharing how they've overcome and how others can too. They discuss overcoming, building a healthy marriage from little to no examples, their time in foster care, being entrepreneurs, and living their best lives. Learn more about Redefining Normal by visiting redefiningnormal.com. Welcome, Alexis and Justin, to Moving Mountains. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. Congratulations on your book, Redefining Normal. So before we get started with your story, would you like to introduce each of yourselves of how you both became the foster care alum. Yeah, of course. So um, basically how we became foster care alum is for me, I entered the foster care system at nine years old um, due to a lot of um, just mental health issues being passed down generationally, generationally within my family and that being expressed in unhealthy ways through substance abuse and just uh, toxic ways overall. And that's going on in my family for generations, like I've said. And entering the foster care system, you know, bouncing around for a bit uh, until I was able to interact with mentors and have a community and support system, really the church really embraced me and provided me with the resources and examples that I needed to be successful. And I think that's really what it took for me to kind of become a successful foster care alumni, not just an alumni itself, but a successful alumni. And, of course, I had to work through it mainly took the, the mental health resources for me to just work through that and kind of realize the generational patterns within my family and then work through it. So, Justin, I understand that you were introduced to the system at the age of nine. So was it a decision made by your parents? Was it third-party intervention? Yeah, it was actually made by my parents. Um, we live with our parents, and it got to a point where our living situation, living in an abandoned house at the time, it just it just wasn't of course conducive for our futures and you know she was kind of her hand was kind of forced to uh, let us go into the foster care system because we were on the run from child protective services at the time so you know we just had to uh, I think my mom just had to do what she had to do to uh, you know make sure we were in a, a better situation and I don't think she had a choice but it was ultimately my parents' decision and Alexis. I understand that you had gone through the loss of your mom and your father was in prison. So at what point did foster care come into your picture? Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, my biological mother died and then I went in love with my biological father. Um, and there was a lot of abuse in the home. It was physical, sexual, and emotional abuse until I was about 13 when he went to prison. And that's actually 
think I was about 14 or 15 when I had to testify against him. So I was a freshman in, uh, in high school. And so that's when I technically entered foster care and went and lived with family um, and lived with them for about four and a half years, actually, until they kicked me out. And then that's when I went and lived with actual foster parents and uh, who ended up adopting me and they're the greatest people on the planet. <laughs> what are some of the blessings of foster families that people aren't aware of? Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to providing that stability and consistency that we, I mean, we, I speak as we as foster youth, like not as entirely as all, but I just know as humans as well that we need um, a lot of sustained, or sorry, we need a lot of stability and um, consistency. We just need that as youth, and then especially as foster youth who may not have a stable environment um, with a consistent parents or individuals in our lives. And that, for me, was one of the biggest things for for uh, for me to be a part of is a family that uh, that I knew that I could trust and that loved me unconditionally, but also constantly showed me healthier habits and healthier ways to say, communicate or handle conflict or just be in a family dynamic that I wasn't used to. For both of you who led a parallel path of overcoming, what were some of the things that each of you had to overcome within yourself? I think one of the biggest things that both of us had to overcome, like I've said before, is, and we talk about this in the Redefining Normal book, is the idea that we had to challenge ourselves and be self-reflective on the culture and ideas that was passed down to us ever since we were born. And that idea was really, it was just difficult to try to, to, it was difficult to try to just process that and, and really be aware of, okay, this is normal, but it shouldn't be normal of the ways of thinking, the culture, the environment, the relationships, how we communicate it. And we break down those elements within the book of redefining normal of what was our normal originally of how we expressed our love and how we communicated and our relationship with our parents and, a relationship with so many other things in our lives that initially the idea of it was negative, but how we had to go through the process of redefining that, I think it starts with just the realization and you have to just be tired of that eventually. You just have to, you're just tired of, you know, seeing the same cycles of, of unhealthiness and, and not accept that anymore. And we were able to see that in our, our parents a lot of times and those around us of their, their behaviors and how they acted it out and, and how, it really just wasn't a good and safe environment for us to to survive, really. And we wanted something different for our lives and for the next generation to come. Until both of you guys to cross paths and meet one another, how did you guys perceive relationships? Did either one of you ever believe that you would meet your significant other or because of what you were exposed to, you had abandoned the idea of wanting that type of sacred relationship? I think it's natural for most people that have our background to have a more, more or less a perverted understanding of what love is and what that looks like. And it, because love is so manipulated and twisted. And for both of us, uh, mainly for myself, I learned that love hurts. And I mainly learned that from my biological father. And so I sort of carried that on into my intimate relationships. And so I was actually in an eight-year abusive relationship before I met Justin, uh, before we got married and everything. Um, and I just always assumed that that's how love was, that, it, you know, you have to accept a lot of pain during it. And, um, and it's just kind of never ending and you're already invested in it. So keep on investing in it. And uh, so that was about eight years 
uh, for myself. And then uh, after leaving that relationship and doing a lot of soul searching and really going to my uh, foster now adoptive parents for advice and guidance and reaching out to those mentors and individuals who are in a healthy relationship, I began to really redefine what that was for myself. And I very much go through that journey in our book uh, so that other people can see you know, do they have a similar journey or a pathway of how they view relationships and how they pick their partner and what that may be based off of with our negative habits and things that we form as a child or the way that our parents loved us, specifically if you're a woman, for your father. Um, and so we, we go through that a lot in our book on, our, on both of our journeys, actually, of how, to, how we selected a partner based on our childhood and, and how that was formed around that. Given your past traumas that you've been able to overcome, what was your relationship with trust? Did you restart a couple times over until you were able to trust your own judgment before you could trust somebody else? Did Dustin bring the trust to the relationship that made you feel safe, that you didn't fear that history will repeat itself? That's actually a phenomenal question. And I would say uh, in that abusive relationship, you know, I think I I put my heart and soul into that and my identity was completely wrapped around that individual. And then when I left that relationship, I was terrified that I would enter in another relationship like that. And um, so really one thing that Justin said for me is that to kind of gain trust for myself because he knew that I left that relationship, even though I was his first girlfriend. (laughs) Um, And that always makes it a bit interesting, but being his first girlfriend and Um, And I think he really wanted me to feel safe and welcomed and loved. He told me that, you know, he'll be the first person to say I love you, to get the first kiss, to do all those things. So he'll be the one that's vulnerable first so that I feel more safe and comfortable. And Justin, because you talk about higher education and you happen to have founded Rose, would you like to talk about how Rose also plays a huge role in helping other people out in the foster care system and also people of color? Yeah, of course. So uh, with Rose, I think it's intentional and needed uh, within black communities, communities of color, all communities in general. It's it's something that's needed. And and the idea behind it is I think the structure really, if implemented correctly, would further prevent uh, kids entering into the foster care system. We're very intentional about working with communities individuals and families and the idea behind it largely is that you know the quality of the families in the in a city or state or whatever is a reflection of uh the environment overall whether it's the country um the the culture and the environment is just it's of the family is a reflection of that so we want to be intentional about focusing on the family dynamic and communities and it the rose empowerment group is based upon three different components which we call the rose model and it starts with first myself and focusing on individuals character development improving who they are as individuals and then working on just their development altogether with as it relates to goal setting uh, personal development their um, emotional stability and we're, we're not counselors or anything but we want to try to be intentional about how we're impacting individuals and specifically men really um, and, and how we can deal with our emotions and mental health and being intentional about that. And secondly is my community, and, you know, we have to focus first on ourselves before we want to help other people. So first is myself and then it's my community, and that focuses on 
the family dynamic, the community environment, and how we, uh, the, the quality of our relationships around us with the mother, their father, um, the father and the daughter and everything, and just healthy styles and, and methods of communication that myself, Alexis, and other people um, have learned that we kind of are conduits of information and passing that down to other people or passing it over to other people, as well as just the the group economics piece of trying to get people and community communities on board to really uh, gather their resources and even human resources to use it to their advantage. And lastly is my impact. And my impact piece discusses how uh, communities, individuals, and groups of people can create a lasting impact in their environment to offset things like um, maybe uh, systematic racism or things that really impact environments in a negative way, create staples as far as like programs, initiatives, and businesses in local communities, neighborhoods, and environments that will be the staple of that environment and uplift the people and the people in that area will be able to contribute to them. Right now, we're just trying to continue the conversation of rising over societal expectations. And that's actually what ROLE stands for, rising over societal expectations. So we want to just start with continuing that conversation and having others join in on that conversation with uh, platforms like the podcast, which is the ROLE Some Concrete podcast, where we discuss themes and topics about the Redefining Normal book, themes and topics as it relates to myself, my community, and impact. And we want to continue that conversation through that platform and ultimately um, through the platform of a ROSE conference, a ROSE uh, empowerment conference where we can gather individuals together to kind of uh, teach them a, a bit of these principles and the information and maybe have other guests involved. And we're trying to structure the conference now and pick a good time and see how we want to go about it. But have this information together in one setting, deliver it to people, and even have them do presentations on uh, businesses or initiatives or programs that can be implemented in environments to offset um, some of the the unhealthy things going on in the environment or offset some of the, the – or fix some of the issues, really, really be intentional about fixing some of the issues as it relates to individuals, families, communities, environments, and other things that will help. Yourself and Alexis are very well-traveled, and I know Alexis has done about eight study abroad programs. So how has global travel for both of you impacted your life outlook? Yeah, that's a great question, and we definitely talk about that in the book because coming from a place where you feel incredibly trapped by your environment, by what you see every day, that is your life. That is your lens that you see through, and to literally pick yourself up and to go to a different place of the world where you essentially get to reinvent yourself. These people don't know you. This is a new environment. You get to rediscover, you know, more of yourself and discover this place around you. And it's just such a beautiful journey that both of us have kind of gotten addicted to. Between the two of us, we've done 13 study abroad and we created two because uh, that's just something that we really care about. And Justin's actually applying for the Fulbright, so we can hopefully go back to South Africa. But <laughs> that's just been something incredibly important to the both of us, I think, of learning other cultures, meeting other people, but also trying to expand ourselves as many in as many ways as possible. And Alexis, you also host other initiatives as you are the founder of the Scholarship Expert. Would you be kind in sharing with audiences how that program benefits foster care students graduating into higher education? Yeah, so when I started the Scholarship Expert in 2016, I was very much focused on 
uh, foster youth and first generation, but then I noticed how most high schoolers actually struggle with getting into college and then finding the money for college um, because the, the average high school student gets about an hour of academic advising on what colleges to apply for and what aid is available. And so I really opened it up to um, all youth and, and families that are in search of scholarships. And we've helped about 450 families uh, so far. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, we created um, the Scholarship Blueprint book, which is also available on Amazon, and a workbook, as well as a couple other resources that's available on our website. While writing the book, Redefining Normal, I'm sure that as we were sharing intimate parts of your history, you're reliving some of these emotions. How were you two able to filter in and filter out which parts of your life you wanted to share and which you wanted to leave out? It really came down to how can we write one book with, with two cohesive stories, and which is actually pretty difficult <laughs> because the size of our book is typically the size of one memoir for one person, and we had to try to morph both of our lives into it. So we had to really more or less pick the highlights of our lives that made the most sense, uh, that fit into the narrative that we were trying to, to tell but also be kind of informative of this is our journey, but this is also how you can learn from it. And so by looking at it through all those lenses and remembering our purpose for writing the book and our, also our intention of what do we want other people to get out of this. And so that's sort of how we sifted through it, but then also having a really phenomenal editor. <laughs> I think that was definitely important because that's a way to have uh, unbiased person who can look at your work and help you sift through that because it's your story so you think everything's important. I know for myself I did. I thought everything's important it all should be in there but we had to really sift through it and that's when I had to step back and trust the judgment of my husband and our editor. Both of you touch upon one of the themes which is the healing. How did each of you start the journey of healing? Because I know some people seek out therapy, other people rely on a higher power. It could be God or any other belief system. So what was it for you guys as individuals and as a married couple? I think it's really all the above. And we talked about it a bit before how, you know, a lot of people, they try to seek, they try to seek out other people in a relationship to kind of rely on them to fix their problems or deal with their trauma and, you know, create their definition of love for them where your partner is your sole, you know, foundation of love and without them, you don't have a definition or idea of what it means. And a lot of times, women and men can be manipulated in those situations. I think for us, you know, we, we were going down that road and we had to be intentional about our, our individual development altogether. And I always say how, you know, for a while, I thought, I thought Alexis was my counselor. And I always say, you know, you could be my counselor. I don't need to go to counseling and everything. But it really got to a point where she was like, no, you need to, uh, you need to go to someone who can, who has the, the skill set to, they really help you, you know, and I always think about it now, like, you know, if your toilet is broken, you go get a plumber or something like that. If somebody, something's wrong with your car, you go get a mechanic. And, you know, if you need assistance with dealing with things emotionally, you need to go to a counselor. And that doesn't have to be someone who is going through extreme trauma like we have, but counseling is huge. And just, I think the, the first thing is just being intentional and aware. Because once you can be aware of it, then you would kind of know where to go for it. You may be dealing with things that are fundamentally wrong <laughs> where you were taught that something was normal that's not normal. 
And that's where you need spiritual reliance. You need to go to a higher power to really deal with some of the things that you're dealing with. And if you're dealing with mental health issues where on a day-to-day basis you can't uh, cope and process your emotions or deal with things in a healthy way, then that's where counseling comes. So just being aware of the actions and seeking out the resources. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to add in for the both of us as being – uh, believers in Christ that we both uh, really relied on our faith in that in a lot of ways in our healing uh, and cause we, we know that for ourselves we can't get through this alone and so and it's not fair for us to put that on the other person and in a large part that's why we made the book in the way that we did where each chapter is broken down in my narrative and his narrative because we wanted people to see that you had to go through two journey or sorry go through individual journeys of healing and self-discovery before we could come together um, that was something that we had to do or else we were going to just be two train wrecks of trauma coming together and trying to expect the other person to heal us. Given each of your specific courageous stories, what does the word forgiveness mean to each one of you? I think the idea of forgiveness really stems from really because we, we've noticed that through our past, I mean, if we've had a lot of hurt and pain with family and parents and everything and that animosity that's built in you, it, it only really hurts you. I forget the I forget the quote. I think it was Confucius who said it or something. But um, when you are angry at someone, it's like drinking poison or something. I, I'm I'm messed up the quote pretty bad. But it, it it's really when you're angry at someone else and you have resentment towards somebody else, you're really hurting yourself. And we had to get to a point where in order for us to grow and become whole and complete, we had to work on really for the forgiveness piece because that anger, you know, that we we held towards the individual, it's not going to do anything really. Even if we somehow got some type of revenge or whatever we we we, we thought we needed, it wasn't enough. So we really had to deal with ourselves and understand that what we've gone through is the building block to serve and help other people. So once you kind of change your perspective in that way, you can kind of see things as, oh, this was not supposed to happen, but even though this was a downfall and uh, a mishap with my parents or they, they mistreated me, I would use this for my good. And being where we are today, you know, we, of course, didn't wish we we gone through what we, we, what we went through, but it's really helped us in a tremendous way. And we can't help but to forgive people around us and make that a common practice because, I mean, we can't hold on to that anger and animosity and Really, it only hurts us, and we want to be able to grow and develop for ourselves and for our children one day. Yeah, and I think Justin really encompassed most of my response outside of uh, I always tell people that hurt people hurt people and healed people heal people. And knowing that, that has really helped us in our forgiveness process of how we've even viewed our parents and we viewed others in our community that have hurt us um, and just trying to see potentially their roots and maybe where maybe they have been hurt to try to bring that compassion in there uh, around our um, around our forgiveness as well uh, versus just more or less demonizing um, because I mean in the end hurt people hurt people and that's just kind of the way of life we cover yourselves as individuals but I always love hearing stories of how people meet do you remember the exact day when you two crossed paths, and what was your initial first impression of one another? Yeah, we actually met on the first day of our scholarship program at our university at Western Michigan University in a foster care in higher education program. 
and it's actually called the CETA Scholars Program. I was a junior, and <laughs> I was joining the program uh, untraditionally because I was a transfer student. Most people join it in their uh, freshman year, coming right into freshman year. And uh, I came in and sat down at this table and was kind of annoyed, actually, for the week that I had to go through this program, but I was more or less there for the free food, and, as most college students probably would be. <clears throat> and Justin came in and, and uh, sat at my table, and he just started to more or less flirt with me, and I'm like, who is this little kid talking to me? <laughs> and and then after that, we, we kind of, I don't know, just kept ended up around each other and finding ways to just we went on a couple walks throughout the week together and got to get, got to know each other a bit more and I got to see how really mature he was for his age <clears throat> and I had to kind of look past the the fact that he just had prom and I'm going into my senior year <laughs> so that was that was always interesting to me to kind of get over but um but that was that was my perspective of it I don't know Justin if you wanted to add anything as being the incoming freshman talking to the junior <laughs> uh, I mean she was very intimidating <laughs> She's very intimidated, but I mean, uh, I mean, since the first day I met her, I've always admired her and, you know, just who she is and always being mainly attracted to her personality and who she is is, is really the main thing. So always wanted to know more about her, be, be around her all the time and just learn from her. And, you know, I was just curious about more of who she was ever since the first day we met. And I'm always still curious to this day. So, I think that is really what fuels me and just keeps me wanting more of my partner and always grateful for that. So Now that you, both of you know what healthy love is, what guidance would you have for audience members that aren't able to distinguish whether they are in a healthy, loving relationship or not? Yeah, absolutely. Another phenomenal question. Uh, on our website, actually, we have a, a worksheet called the Healthy Versus Unhealthy Checklist where individuals can kind of assess their own relationships to see if it is healthy or not. And this is actually the exact checklist that I did when I was in that abusive relationship. And it helped me see exactly how unhealthy it was and that I need to find, really start transitioning out and figuring out how can I do that. Because uh, I'm a visual learner, so that really helped me. So on our website, uh, re-definingnormal.com, you can get the healthy versus unhealthy checklist. So you can see um, exactly how uh, your relationship is, if it is healthy or unhealthy, and potentially ways that you can improve it just because more or less say if you do have some unhealthy habits in that relationship, that doesn't mean it's a make or break it depending on, you know, what actually is happening. But I know for the both of us, we both brought a couple, you know, toxic behaviors into our relationship just from our childhood, not even knowing that they were unhealthy. But uh, if you read our book, you'll see how we had to be really intentional on that of we don't want the same things that we grew up with. We don't want what our parents went through. We want better especially since our relationship is going to dictate the next three to four generations of, you know, our children and grandchildren, things like that. So, again, that goes back to that intentionality, and that's really the first step is to assess your own relationship. You guys are not only successful as individuals, but you both happen to be successful entrepreneurs. How did entrepreneurship come into your path? Were you recommended to consider bringing a couple of ideas to life? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the – the transition to entrepreneurship for us was almost natural because we've always, one of the key components of entrepreneurship is is being able to adjust, being flexible, and being willing to adapt. And that's something that foster youth have always had to do. And once you have those characteristics, 
because, you know, it's not something that is, oh, I'm going to work nine to five and something that's guaranteed. You know, you have to think of different ways and methods to reach people and communicate and understand people and how they communicate and how they, where, where the people are and, and, and what, what products and services can really reach them. So we really had to dig, do some self, self-reflection on just how we can, do we really have what it takes to do this? And with the situation we're in right now, as it relates to um, being homeowners and our business being our main source of income, you know, it, it's a huge risk, but I think that's really what business is all about and entrepreneurship is all about. You really have to bet on yourself and your resources, and it really takes you being all the way in. I mean, of course, you can work a job and also be an entrepreneur and have your job fund your entrepreneurial aspirations, but it really takes you being all in on your your aspirations and your dreams because it's difficult to kind of be do it do it like not be all the way in because you you're missing out on the opportunity a connection a resource or relationship that can really benefit you and do, uh, help you develop the skills that you need. So, I mean, I think if you are uh, an aspiring entrepreneur, I would say just continue to build the information and also just, just try it, you know, just know, know who you're serving, know your why, as Alexis always says, and continue to gain that information to build the information through books, podcasts, and other resources and just go. Sometimes we try to ha- like have everything all together, be perfect before we just take the leap of faith. But I think that's what entrepreneurship is all about—that leap of faith and and really <laughs> just not having it all together, but just trying it out. I appreciate that you stress that it is not a nine-to-five opportunity. It's more of a lifestyle that actually tests our comfort uh, thresholds, and we're thrown out to learn about life. So for each of you. What is one quality that you discovered about yourself through the entrepreneurial endeavors that you've been investing in? Uh, I know for myself very much that how much I love kind of overseeing and more of the, not necessarily administrative, probably more of the um, <clears throat> logistics and organizational aspect of a business. Like both of our, com- both of our um, ta- skills and talents definitely uh, – uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, um, correspond with each other or uh, support each other in a lot of ways. And so we, we really work together uh, to make sure that our businesses are operating efficiently, efficiently and getting everything done that we need to get done. But also what we did was we built an internship program because this wasn't just about creating our companies. It's about what are we going to do beyond that and how can we support other people and teach them what it is that we've learned. And so um, so we've we've really done that in, as a way of, of of continuing our movement and what we're trying to do and teach others. Um, and so I would say the biggest thing for me is that organizational piece and overseeing and seeing big picture, but then breaking it down into objectives and learning to delegate and bring a whole team together, uh, focusing on their strengths. Yeah, I would say Thank one you. of the, the biggest things that I love in entrepreneurship, one is, you know, you kind of have the power over, you know, what you you got you someone have the power over your success you know in a job <laughs> you've heard plenty of circumstances where someone can get laid off or they're just you know they situations can happen at work or a job where you know you just feel that you know you can just 
not be in control of things. I think one of the things I've I've learned from entrepreneurship is just how rewarding it can be to create and just how exciting it can be to create and um, how much is really needed. You know, you can't be independent as much as entrepreneurship seems as where it's just you. I think it really challenges you to grow and develop personally and professionally and to seek out those resources of, of different books, podcasts, and reach out to other people just to learn the shadow from, from them and learning. It, it really humbles you, I would say, because you, you really have to accept that, okay, I don't know how to do this and I really need to learn because if I don't learn this, then I'll go out here and look crazy because I don't know what I'm doing. So it really humbles you to try to learn from other people and gain the resources that you need. Do you believe that given both of your past experiences and being in environments where it wasn't a status quo but dealing with the unknown a lot, that you've been able to translate that and cope with entrepreneurship better because a lot of people don't like to take risks and what works to your advantage at least in my opinion would be that you would be more so comfortable with the unknown because you are creating your future it's not mm-hmm. as your life was mapped out at a young age and it played out according to any of our ideal dreams mm-hmm. yeah exactly and um as Justin was mentioning earlier and what we always tell people is that really foster care prepared us to be entrepreneurs because and more or less gave us the skill set that we need to move forward in that world of risk and you don't know what's about to happen and you just kind of have to make it up as you go. Um, and just being able to adapt and be resourceful and, and things like that, um, you just kind of have to figure it out. And that's just been our childhood. <laughs> so we're really more or less just acting off of things that we know that's been our daily normal for us. <laughs> and as we start to wrap things up, there was one item that I had to ask you about, if you don't mind sharing, because you also host whole packages, and I love the concept of it. Yeah, so uh, one thing that we've done is, uh, is helping fundraise with Hope Packages. Uh, Hope Packages is an organization that has duffel bags or backpacks and things for uh, for young people who are transitioning into um, who are transitioning into foster care. So maybe their first night in care where they have nothing but the clothes on their backs, or maybe clothes in a trash bag. And so um, it's uh, packaging each backpack or duffel bag in age appropriate things, books, maybe a pack of underwear, whatever it is that a child may need as they're transitioning into that home. And We've done a lot of fundraising and speaking at different events and and things like that to help raise money for this absolutely incredible organization that's based in Michigan. Uh, It's a mom of a couple of kids, and they're always fostering, and she just saw this need and how she wanted to reach out and help people. And I just remember my first night of foster care not having anything because I came from the hospital um, and how much I would have loved to have something like that. In your professional opinions, is there any recommendation that the foster care system, the existing one, where they could make improvements? So one of the things that, I mean, one of the main improvements I will always suggest in the foster care system is, you know, uh, providing the necessary resources for youth transitioning out of foster care. And I'm actually working with the Cedar Scholars Program to help students in the program transition into adulthood with housing and career and so many other things that foster youth are not able to gain the resources as they transition into adulthood. So if there could be policy changes that will allow foster care youths who are transitioning into adulthood who are aging out to have access to resources like housing 
and the opportunity to even become homeowners, in which I know there, there are things going in the process that are allowing that now, but even more opportunities to be business owners and entrepreneurs and have a successful career and, you know, go to graduate school and be homeowners. I think providing them the resources that, you know, a, a nice, stable community environment and family, someone who comes from those backgrounds will be able to achieve providing foster youth with those opportunities and resources is very important, but specifically focus on youth who are transitioning to adulthood and aging out of the system because the numbers of homelessness for youth who age out is just terrible. And it, it's, it's very sad. And I could have been one of those people, especially during the the pandemic, but luckily I was uh, allowed to live with Alexis parents. And if it wasn't for that, I would have easily been homeless and, the the numbers I'm sure have skyrocketed because of the pandemic, but I really want a legislative. Uh, uh, I really want policy and everyone to kind of focus in on that that space of of youth aging out from 18 to 21 because so many youth are becoming homeless and it's just really sad right now. So providing the resources to be successful. I appreciate both of you sharing and touching upon different aspects of your life. Finally, is there one mantra that both of you strongly believe in day to day that helps you feel your faith and the wonderful work that you're doing out in the world? Yeah, of course. Um, for, for me and for both of us, I would say that, you know, using our weaknesses as strength is something that carries us each and every day. And that ability to overcome and once we've actually overcame what we've gone through, it's almost like as an, an addiction to continue to overcome our barriers in life, the mental, the mental health struggles that we have or the barrier, the emotional barriers that we have and um, financial, anything in life that we, we come across, the barriers. We've known that we've gone through some of the t- toughest circumstances in our childhood and through our teenage years. So we would just tell other people to continue to use those failures, use those um, losses as an opportunity to learn, grow, and develop, and seek seek that out as the next challenge to overcome, because that feeling of overcoming and having success is an addiction, and I want everybody to have that addiction, have the addiction to be successful, to overcome those barriers and struggles, and once we can do that and contribute and continue to influence other people to do the same, and create a community where we all can be successful and help one another, I think then we'll make progress as a society and as a, as a community. Mm-hmm. And for myself, I always lean back to Simon Sinek, what is your why? And for us, we had to really define what that is, how do we define success and our impact, and, and what is it that we're trying to do in the world? What is our legacy? And so for us as individuals and as a married couple, we had to figure that out. And we did a lot of that actually on our honeymoon, <laughs> a lot of those discussions and, and figuring out what that was. And we even came up with marriage goals and life goals and, and things like that, just really trying to work that through. And, and it's having that individual that's going to hold you accountable as your life partner, as your business partner, and as your friend. Um, so those are definitely things that we've constantly put into and in, we've enforced every single day, getting up and trying to figure out what are the next steps and what are we trying to do. And then, Another thing that, uh, that I always do, and, and I read this book, I can't remember the title exactly, but it's, it's something around the one thing. And uh, I feel like I've always done this in a sort of way, but I, I never really had a way to kind of organize it. 
um, in the way that this book has. And it's really focusing on what is the one thing that you could do right now to get you to that next step. So when you look at your to-do list, which ours is probably about 40 pages, literally, um, <laughs> what do we – what can we do in this moment that's going to take us to that next step? Not looking at a list of a thousand things. What is that one thing that you can do right now? And then when you get done with that thing, what is the one thing that you can do next? And it's really focusing on our day and prioritizing throughout the day to get through it in that, in that aspect. Thank you for sharing. And you're more than welcome to share with audiences how they can support your work and find you. Of course. So first and foremost, you can find all things Redefining Normal at re-definingnormal.com. You can find our book. You can book us for um, speaking and trainings and, and everything else on the website at redashfindingnormal.com, as well as even the podcast, the Rose from Concrete podcast, our merchandise, and everything Redefining Normal. Um, check out the Rose Empowerment Group at roseempowermentgroup.com and contact us with questions or concerns at info at redashdefiningnormal.com or info at roseempowermentgroup.com. And lastly, follow us on social media. Uh, Rose Empowerment Group is Rose Empowerment Group on Instagram and Facebook. And Redefining Normal on Facebook is Redefining Normal Memoir. And Instagram is Normal. Wonderful. I think they have enough homework to do. Thank you, Justin and Alexis, for joining us today. And hopefully we will cross paths again. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're amazing. And we really appreciate you. Thank you. And I really appreciate that positive messages you are putting out. And everyone, please go to redefiningnormal.com to learn more about Justin and Alexis Black. Until next time, be blessed. <laughs>